This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Hmm. What's that about? Potatoes? Hello and welcome to Bob the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacy Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacy's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watched season six, episode eight of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Tabula Rasa. As well as Gilmore Girls, Let Me Hear Your Ball of Like is ringing out. So I think um, both these episodes, they were like, what if we do titles that are difficult to say? I agree. They're a little hard to say. Balalaikas is fun to say once you know how to say it, though. I still you do don't. it. I, uh, okay. Um, uh, Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> so we've been up to some weird things. Mostly, we've been watching The Mole. We are really into The Mole. We threw it on late one night, and it took us like three nights to watch the whole thing. I don't know if I would say it was good, but it was definitely engaging. I can't really imagine watching like more than one season of The Mole, but one season I was, I was hooked by like episode two. Yeah. My criticism is you don't get to know the people at all. Yeah. But maybe that's by design, so you can't figure them out. I don't know. Hard to say. It was like constant missions and none of the like behind-the-scenes drama like I'm used to in reality I want to do missions. Yes. The whole time I kept thinking, like, I would like to do this show because it's just like playing games and escape rooms and stuff. But at some point they had to, like, rock climb. I'm like, no, that I don't. I couldn't do that. Yeah. These people are also fit, hot people. Yeah, we're just hot. Yeah. But we're not fit. Yeah. We also wanted to talk about, do you guys... This is weird. Do you guys listen to Sleep Stories? Well, specifically the Calm app, which I've had this problem before. I'm saying Calm app, not Calm app. It's a meditation app, like Headspace, but it's called Calm. But there's there's stories on there that you can fall asleep to with like soothing voices. But there's one that's read by Optimus Prime from Transformers. And it's awesome. I'm just telling you, I, I know it sounds crazy, but like this is my go-to, puts me to sleep. It's like a weird scenario. Like Optimus Prime is showing up at some random dude's house, thanking him for letting him and his buddies like sleep at, in his yard. It's so funny that you think of it as some dude's house, because in my head it's a woman's house, because it's me. He's talking to me. I was also thinking about how I gendered it, and it didn't need to be, but like in my head it's a dude, but it doesn't have to be, obviously. Um uh, because he's talking to you, whoever you yes, are. Yes, right. I'm the guy in this scenario, and you're the woman. Which is honestly a little creepy. He's showing up at some woman's house in the middle of the night. Yeah. But then he just is like, I can tell you're tired, and thanks for letting us stay, but here's my whole deal and our whole alien races deal. Yeah. He just, like, breaks down his planet and his friends, what their bodies do and what their interests are. I don't know. His voice is just sort of monotone, and so it's, like, easy to fall asleep to. I can tell you're tired. But also, but also curious. curious. But then... <laughs> they run out of Transformer stuff to say at some point. Yeah. So he just starts talking about one time he went to a drive-in. <laughs> it's just so clearly like, we got five minutes left. I don't know. Vamp about a drive-in? Yeah. It's just like a really funny story about him observing humanity and the phenomenon of drive-in movies. Yeah, could you imagine like an alien's coming by and he's like, let me tell you about our culture and our planet and our race. And like one time I went to a movie and it was so interesting. This is like 25% of the story, just so you know. (laughs) 
It's so weird. I think he talks about watching children fall asleep, which is maybe supposed to be soothing if you aren't already asleep by this part. Yeah. You know? Because I think some children have fallen asleep watching the movie. They're like cozy in the back of a truck or something. That's probably like calming. For aliens that uh, replicate differently than we do, we don't know how Transformers replicate, but obviously it's different. It's not, like, not biological. Probably babies are weird to them. Yeah, I really need explained how they fuck. That's that's my top question at this point. I don't care about what his friend's interests are. Like sex and baby reproduction and stuff to like a mechanical race is probably like, you do what now? And then like a little one comes out and it just grows over time. What? Yeah. I mean, maybe that's not appropriate for sleep stories though. He needs to stop watching people fall asleep, though. That's creepy. Anyway, sorry we talked about it so long, but we listen to this, like, once a week. Like, have you guys heard – well, are you familiar with this app, but also have you heard the Optimus Prime sleep story? You, yeah, we you really should try it out. just want to know if anybody else can relate to this. It's very specific to us. It's very calming. Anyway, sorry. We've also got some five-star reviews, you told me. We do have five-star reviews. They're all hard to say. Oh, the names. Most of them involve a lot of numbers. But we're going to shout them out. Here we go. Let's do it. Thank you so much to Gisbrecht1031, K8V8. Kate Vate. Could be Kate Vate. Tabby0828. And Limu, all caps. Also, from Canada, thank you so much to Ali0030 and JCL1989. Thank you. Thank you so much for your kind words and for taking the time to leave us a review. It really helps get our podcast noticed and pique people's interest when we've got all kinds of positive reviews. Okay. Do you want to talk about our television shows? Yes. We watch these for our watch party with our Patreon people. Yeah, it was really fun getting their insight on some of these things. Yeah. This week we started with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Stacy, could you please tell us all about Tabula Rasa? Yeah, so this episode is mostly about Tara confronting Willow about how she's been using too much magic lately. And then she uses a bunch more magic. Yeah. And um, things kind of go awry. It's also about Buffy still sort of being in denial about her feelings for Spike, or she doesn't have feelings for Spike, but she's still acting on that. She needs to figure that out. Yeah. So Buffy's on patrol when she's startled by Spike. He wants to talk about the kiss that they had at the end of the last episode, but she does not. She wants to pretend it was because of the musical spell, and it says she's never going to touch him again. She immediately touches him again. Lays on top of him, actually. But it's to save him from a flying stake thrown by a shark with arms and legs in a suit. Oh my god, the shark, man. Oh my god, dude. He's a literal lone shark. God, this is a fucking walking pun. That's a This is a walking pun, guys. Yeah. Spike apparently has a bit of a gambling debt and owes the shark like 40 kittens. We've established that kittens are demon currency. God, the premise of this episode... I'm sorry. It just It bothers me so much. I love Buffy, but I... I love this. I just want to say this up top. I love Buffy and I love so much about this episode. That's really funny. But this whole plot device of this lone shark who is trying to kill Spike to get his owed kittens is abs- it's so absurd that I, I cannot suspend my disbelief. They literally just needed someone to want to kill Spike. It was really very minor, the circumstances. They could have. But also, like, you could just go buy kittens. You can go steal kittens. Like, the kittens are not hard to come by. Yeah, what do they what do they do once they have kittens? Like, you can buy food with money. What what can you do? Can I guess you could drink the kittens, but they prefer humans. They some of them eat the kittens. 
Yeah. So this whole kitten currency thing is very fucking dumb because you can just go buy kittens. You can go steal kittens. You can steal money to buy kittens. There's kittens just running around. I see a kitten every time I look out the window pretty much. Yeah, I know. Kittens are not hard to come by. But also, forget that plot device, which is dumb. This shark just looks stupid and he talks like a goddamn cartoon character. Brian was really bothered by the shark. I hate him so much. He looks bad. Also, like, he breathes oxygen, but he's like a shark. Yeah, that doesn't really make sense. I mean, maybe there's a reality where sharks became, like, the humans, you know? There's, like, a, a, a dimension where that's true. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Like in Howard the Duck. With yeah, okay. Sharks. <laughs> Which is a movie that I accept the premises of as <laughs> totally reasonable. This shark thing is so, he looks so dumb. He, he is dumb. He's played for goofy laughs. I just, I hate it so much. I will say, though, I do like that he never stands still because, like, sharks have to move to breathe. So I kind of liked that detail, but I hate him otherwise. All right, I'm done talking about it. There is a lot of fun stuff in the episode. We're going to talk about it. I'm not hating on Buffy. I love Buffy. All right, go ahead. Buffy fights off one of the shark's henchmen. I don't know why she didn't stake him. I guess they weren't presenting as vampires at this time. But she must know when someone's a vampire. I don't know. She just kind of knocks him to the ground. The shark offers her a job in deck collecting because he's impressed with her shakedown skills. And while he's talking about all this, Spike escapes. The shark keeps referring to him as Mr. Spike. That's kind of funny. Yeah. He says he'll deal with Spike later and he leaves. And the scene ends with Buffy saying to herself, if I would just stop saving his life, it would simple things up so much. Uh, yeah, we've been telling you that, girl. You keep keeping him alive for no reason. Yeah, I mean, they should have killed him in season four. So it's funny that the show's like winking at that. The Scoobies are having a little meeting at Xander's to feel bad about ripping Buffy from heaven. Yeah. Willow admits they were selfish, specifically her. Tara's like, yeah, but we need to stop feeling bad. What's done is done. We need to figure out how to make things better for Buffy now. Willow's like, well, I can fix it with a spell that'll make her forget she was even in heaven. Tara's like, absolutely not. What is wrong with you? She mad. Anya and Xander are like, yeah, we're going to go to the other room. This is a fight you two need to have. And then Tara tells Willow that she knows she used that forget spell on her. How long has it been since the singing? Has she sat on this for a while? It's maybe just like the next day, I guess. I think it's supposed to be the next day. Willow's like, I was just trying to make us not fight and make things better for us. Tara's like, yeah, but you don't get to decide what that means. We both get a say in what our fight status is. Yeah. You can't just violate my mind, especially after what Glory did to me. All great points, Sarah. Totally on your side here. And then she tells Willow that she doesn't know if this is going to work. Willow's trying to salvage things. She's like, hey, 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 I'll, I'll prove it to you that I don't need to use magic. I'll go a whole month without doing magic. Tara's like, I give you a week. Scene ends with Willow asking Tara, are you saying you're going to leave me? Cut to Giles, clearly just having told Buffy that he's leaving her. Buffy's like, what now? You're abandoning me when I really need somebody? He's like, no, I'm going because if I don't, you'll always rely on me. I've taught you all I can about being a slayer. Your mom taught you some stuff about life and some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say everything you need to know. He couches mom did what she could, but whatever. <laughs> she was kind of AWOL in season four. <laughs> but you're not going to trust all that knowledge you have unless you're forced to stand alone. He's thought this over, and he believes it's the right thing to do. Bobby's like, well, you're wrong. And he is. Yeah, he's just wrong. We talked about this last week. Maybe it'll make more sense to me, but it's clear the actor's just trying to leave the show. And yeah, they totally. wrote in some drama to make that happen. 100%. Thanks for saving the world a bunch, Buffy, but you really got to figure out bills and shit. I really miss Big Ben. I got to go see him. 
the clock. I thought you meant Ben from fucking season five. I was like, what? <laughs> no. I knocked him out and sent him to England and never killed him. I guess we don't see him die. Yeah, he's in England now. Giles has called a Scooby meeting that people are on their way to, but Willow's not even dressed yet. She sends Tara and Dawn off ahead of her. When they're gone, she does a little spell to get dressed, and then she pulls out a whole secret bag of forget flowers and does a forget spell in the fireplace to purge Tara and Buffy's minds from memories grim. Ugh. We know the second she changes clothes with magic that she's already broken her promise to Tara. Yeah, so she was clearly just like pretending she wasn't ready so she could have some time alone to do the yeah. spell. Did you even last a day, Willow? Yeah, it's pretty pathetic. What if Tara comes back for her keys or something? You waited like no time. Then you have a fight and you do another forget spell. Baby, I've been doing this to you for years. I mean, it makes sense that she's, it's like mapped onto addiction. So she's like, just one more time and then I'll stop. This yeah. will be it. But it's not addiction though. You know? It, yeah. Can you be addicted to doing spells? It's not like I it's mean, a chemical it's that's affecting your It's not real. Body. So you could say it gives you dopamine or something. Who knows? Yeah. It just seems like, I don't know, her respect level for Tara is pretty low. Yeah. I think the show actually does a really poor job of this. It's supposed to be mapped onto an addiction, which the show may or may not do more stuff with. But at this point in her addiction, like erasing Tara's memory is such a big thing to do. And it's like, we should be seeing her like very addicted to magic before she's erasing her girlfriend's memory. Especially when her girlfriend just said, it's wrong that you erase my memory. Yeah. And if it was a different character, maybe, sure. But, like, this is Willow, who we know is a good person and wants to do good. It's just so out of character for her to be like, cool, I'm going to violate my girlfriend's mind again because I know what's best. Maybe if, like, the spell she was about to do was, like, a different spell that would fix everything. But she literally was just like, it's pretty messed up that you violated my mind and she's doing it again. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if the show had, like, shown us Willow's point of view of her being like, Tara just doesn't get it. Like, I respect Tara, but this is just something she doesn't understand. But we don't see that from her. We just see her doing this. And it just, it, it seems like it's a really big disservice to Willow's character. Yeah. Like, I think the we writing. Talk, we talked about this a little, like, it'd be nice to see Willow sort of struggling with, like, whether or not this is morally okay for her to do. Yeah. But... The show actually kind of goes out of its way to be like, Willow thinks she's superior. Like, she, yeah. she's very confident in her abilities and thinks this is the right thing to do. Unless she does have some kind of inner conflict, but they're not showing that at all. I think they're showing the opposite. Yeah, they're not even alluding to it. We could have also had something where, like, you know, Giles or someone said, like, you know, the more you use magic, the more it has influence on you or something like that to, like, justify. But it's not. And, like, this isn't like she likes doing spells. She's addicted. It's like she's doing she could be doing other spells to feed her addiction or whatever. But she's doing, like, spells that are violating her girlfriend's mind right after her girlfriend told her that, that she was doing that. Like, it's insane that Willow is doing this. I think it's bad writing. It's also, like, to cover up her own mistakes. Like, she messed up Buffy. Now she messed up with Tara. So she's just, right. like, going back to the same spells. It is mapped well onto addiction, I'll say that. But it, you're right. It is kind of sudden and out of character for Willow, who's generally a good person, it seemed. The spell, whose magic words are tabula rasa, involves a little crystal. And when the fire goes out and the crystal turns black, the spell will be cast. She does that. She tucks the crystal into her pocket and heads off to the magic shop where Tara and Anya are killing time by twiddling each other's thumbs? I don't know what that... They were, like, holding thumbs. Maybe they were thumb wrestling? It's weird blocking. It seems like Tara's cheating. Yeah. Xander and Willow both show up together, and Xander has lent Willow his coat because it's cold out and because this will be important to the plot. 
Yeah, she says, like, thank you for loaning me your coat. It was cold. And I was like, that was a weird exposition line. Yeah. Giles has called this meeting to let the whole group know that he's leaving. But before he can get those words out, Smokey Spike bursts through the door in like a brown tweed suit, similar to what he was wearing in Restless. And one of those little hats with the flaps on the ears. <laughs> it's a disguise. He's there seeking asylum from the shark. As Spike talks, Willow fiddles with the crystal in her pocket. And then the fire back at the Summy Res shoots some sparks out and ignites the entire bag of forget flowers. So she just left that on the hearth? Why wouldn't she have hidden it again? Yeah, so just to be clear, this is a, a spell gone awry. She didn't mean for those to catch fire. No. But, like, why would she leave that out? Theoretically, Tara wouldn't know anything was suspect about the flowers if the spell works. Yeah, it's, like, crazy. It's like if I cheated on you and left a bunch of lube out, and then you came home, and you're like, why is there a bunch of lube out? And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. I don't know. A bunch of lube? Like, <laughs> Well, she's got a bag of flowers. It didn't map on perfectly. <laughs> what is a bunch of lube in your mind? Like, several bottles? or Like, like several piles? bottles of lube that you put together in a bouquet. And... <laughs> a lube bouquet. But also, what causes the sparks to fly? Was that just random, or did it have something to do with her touching the crystal? I think it's just random. It's just it fire. It seems like not natural movement of the fire. Right, I agree. Maybe you guys in the audience think it's something specific, but I think it was just like random chance. I mean, they're on a hellmouth. Maybe the hellmouth was like pushing for chaos a little bit. I don't know. Ooh. After Spike's big entrance, Giles finishes telling them all that he's moving back to England. They all agree this doesn't make sense. And Buffy's like, yeah, I fuck this all. I'm going to go. Will stops her, tries to apologize for what they did, slash sort of comfort her. And Buffy starts to tell them that things are like really hard and bad for her and no one can really understand what she's going through. But mid-sentence, she and everyone else, including Willow, suddenly pass out. The fire has gone out, so the spell is cast. And when they come to, it's dark out. No one knows where they are or who they are. And some of them have fallen asleep in somewhat compromising positions. Willow and Xander were cuddling on the floor, and Giles and Anya were sort of leaning on each other. Spike's laying on the counter, he rolls off. Dawn's like really freaking out, but Buffy really takes her under her wing and makes it a point of making sure she's okay. They put together that they're in a magic shop, so maybe something magic happened? Giles is like, what? Magic's not real. No, we don't know a thing about what happened, except I seem to be British and a man with glasses. This is all funny. I have some issues with this, though, like just logic wise. Why does Giles not believe in magic? Because it's yeah. like forgetful spell. Like I get like he forgets things about his identity, but like he doesn't forget like how physics work. You know what I mean? Right. He doesn't forget like what night and day are. He's just forgetting details about his own life. And magic isn't magic is real. So, like, why would he forget about magic? It's, it's just like a, yeah, I get that the average person doesn't know what magic is, but magic does exist. So it's not like, it's just weird that he would forget that. It would, it would just be another fact about reality that he should remember. Yeah, I don't know, like, how amnesia works. Like, because I think you forget the people in your life and your name and stuff, but you, you seem to, like, remember English still. Yeah, but, like, I just, I guess I want to know, like, what are the groups of facts that this spell is like, you'll remember these facts but not these facts. It should be just like, I don't remember anything about myself. Like if I had amnesia, would I remember what I studied in college? Like would I still know stuff about interior design? I would imagine you would. Okay. So if that's true, which I guess we don't know that it is, Giles should remember magic because that's like his deal. But like if you can remember like what the days of the week are or that like 
we've went, gone to the moon with an astronaut. So you should be able, I don't know. It's just crazy to me to think that he wouldn't remember that. Yeah. I don't know. Spike makes fun of Giles for being British. That's very funny. Using what I imagine must be the most British sentence ever written. And then they assume because they're both British, they must be related. That's how being British works, right? Right, right. Well, yeah. Anya points out there is a ruggedly handsome resemblance, which gets Giles all blushy. And he tells Spike he does inspire a particular feeling of familiarity and disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) And assumes that he must be his older brother. Spike's like, no, you're my dad. God, I must hate you. (laughs) And then he asks what the deal with the trollop is, meaning Anya, because he saw them sleeping together. Giles is like resting together. (laughs) And then Anya notices her ring. She's like, no, it's cool. We can rest together. We're engaged. Spike's like, great. Stepmom who's half daddy's age. Giles is like, oh, come on. I'm still young enough to get carded. First of all, you're not. Secondly, you you remember this about yourself? (laughs) That he looks young in his mind? Yeah. (laughs) Mention of getting carded reminds them all that they could look at their driver's license to learn a little bit about themselves. Xander finds his first. He reads his name as Alexander Harris. They later call him Alex. It's funny because I was looking up like something about the show a few podcasts back and the information I wanted came up in like a Buffy wiki, but it was not an English one. I think it was like German or something. Mm -hmm. And I could translate the page, but whenever it referred to Xander, it called him Alex. Hmm. I mean, his name is Alexander. So it's just funny to think of it in a different country. They would translate it differently, different part of his name. Right. Well, Xander's a weird name, so maybe they're just like, yeah. Let us know if you're from Germany or a different country where they translate any of their names differently. Willow thinks her name's funny, but Tara says she thinks it's pretty. Oh. Dawn conveniently has a necklace with her name on it. She probably stole that from a different Dawn. (laughs) Giles seems to think his name is cool, but Spike laughs at the name Rupert, and Giles threatens to put him across his knee. (laughs) I like that Giles has just, like, accepted that he's his dad. Yeah. They're eight years apart in real life. The he's, actors, yeah. Yeah, he's not old enough to be his dad, but Spike like says it once and Giles is just like, okay. Spike doesn't have a wallet, but finds an inscription on the inside of his jacket that says, made with care for Randy. He's like, Randy Giles? Why not just name me Horny Giles or Desperate for a Shag Giles? Yeah, it's funny. Giles is like, I'm sure Randy's a family name. You know what's funny is you made that joke about Dawn stealing that necklace, but like Spike definitely did steal that jacket. <laughs> yeah, probably from the dry cleaner that we've yeah. established just down the street. Then Willow realizes that the jacket she's wearing says Harris, so she must be dating Xander, which makes sense how snugly they were when they woke up. Anya finds some paperwork saying that her and Rupert own the shop together, which Giles thinks is very progressive of him. Which means deep down, Giles thinks women shouldn't co-own shops. Yeah, what the f- What is- What? <laughs> right? Because he's like impressed by the fact that he let his fiance own the shop with him. Yeah, I just don't understand this. Like, is that Giles' base personality? Is that he doesn't think women are equal? Like, it's, I don't understand. Yeah, he's going back to England to make sure women stop owning shops. <laughs> Anya also thinks her name is pronounced Anya, which is funny. Yeah. They don't really say that again, but- she finds her name on the paperwork. That's how she learns. Buffy has no ID, so she names herself Joan, which Don hates. Buffy's like, what? I like it. Don's like, fine. That's your purgative. Buffy corrects her to, that's your prerogative, which is a phrase Gilmore Girls also uses this week. Yep. Amy. Anyway, this little tiff between them leads them to think that they're sisters, and they are correct. This is your first episode. They are sisters. They hug. 
Spike yells at Giles, you never show me affection like that. I bet. <laughs> Buffy suggests they should leave, try to find some help. Spike's like, yeah, dad can drive. He's bound to have a shiny red midlife crisis car, which if this is your first episode, he do. Yeah, it's so funny because Spike describes his car. Yeah. As soon as they open the door, they're greeted by two vampires. All the Scoobies are like in one shot, sort of scream together and slam the door. That's funny. Yeah, I like the shot. Yeah, it's just like from the perspective of the vampires looking at all them screaming. Yeah. Willow decides they got to check the shop for more doors and block all the exits, which is going to take forever. I feel like this shop gets a new door every episode we spend there. Yeah, there's new doors every day, like you said. They're all now processing that monsters are real. So Giles suggests that they try fighting them using stuff in the shop, magic tricks or whatever. It's funny because Buffy's like emphatically shakes her head no when Giles pitches fighting two vampires. <laughs> the vampires yell for them to send out Spike. They're obviously the shark's goons there to shake down Spike for his kittens. And then Spike remembers that he saw a bunch of wooden spikes. So they must want those. Willow and Xander come back with the info that there is indeed a new door that's appeared in the basement <laughs> that leads to the sewers. I mean, I think it must have existed because Spike randomly appeared in the basement yeah. in a Halloween episode. But yeah. this is the first time they're actually mentioning that there's a door down there. And I also asked you if they were trying to make sewers a thing. Apparently they were, because there were a couple episodes where Spike casually mentioned the sewers, like that's a location we've been going to all along. I mean, like, they definitely have gone to sewers, but they seem to go there a lot now. Yeah. So they start to head to the sewers, but the vampires break down the door and the window. How many times has that window been broken? <laughs> Xander starts praying, despite not knowing what religion he is, so he tries a few different things. Mm -hmm. One of the vampires grabs Spike and says, you owe us. He's like, fine, take your damn spikes. Hands them the wooden spikes. <laughs> Meanwhile, the other vampire has grabbed Joan. She beats the shit out of him, goes up to the other one and says, hey, stay away from Randy. She stakes him. Everyone's like, what was that? What did you just do? She's like, I don't know, but it was cool. <laughs> she deduces she must be some kind of superhero. The other vampire escapes. Randy shuts the metal gate, but the vampire brings reinforcements and Shark Boss. Shark Boss. Shark Boss doesn't want to break down the door. He's confident the humans will turn on Spike eventually because he's a vampire. They don't know that yet. And if not, he'll burn the place to the ground. I don't know why he assumes they'll turn on Spike because he watched Buffy defending Spike in the graveyard. Yeah, that's a good point. The Scooby make a plan. Joan and Randy are going to fight the vampires since they seem to want him and she's wicked strong. I don't know why they would send Spike out the front door when that's what they want, but whatever. Giles and Anya are going to stay and figure out magic to protect the shop, which actually isn't going to be necessary once Spike isn't in the shop. Right. But I guess they don't know that Spike is what they're yeah. after at the time. I mean, they just see monsters. They probably just like want a spell to feel safe. Yeah. Who knows if these monsters are going to stick to their word. It is interesting that they keep trying to do spells like the whole episode when probably there's no threat outside anymore. Right. And the rest of them are going to take the sewers to the hospital to figure out their forgetfulness problem. Before they go, Giles awkwardly asks his son Randy for a hug. Super funny. So they're split up into three groups. The next chunk of the show cuts back and forth between all these in a really fun way because there's like a lot of comedy. There's a lot of tension. It's well done. But for the sake of storytelling, I'm just going to go through the stories one by one. Mm -hmm. As Joan and Randy are running out the front door, Randy gets grabbed by a vampire. He puts on his own vamp face and punches the vampire into the air and says, hey, I'm a superhero too, baby. 
Joan notices Randy's vampire face and runs away. He catches up to her. She tackles him and informs him that he's a vampire. He's like, oh shit. Well, how come I don't want to bite you? Why am I fighting other vampires? I must be a noble vampire. A good guy on a mission of redemption. A vampire with a soul. Yeah, he just adopts the persona of Angel here. <laughs> Buffy's like, that's crazy. If this is your first episode, a vampire with a soul is a thing in this reality. Though not common. <laughs> Spike's going on and on about how big of a hero he is and how cool it is that even though they're mortal enemies, they're working together. It is interesting, though, that he doesn't want to attack Buffy because I guess he loves Buffy. But it's interesting that he didn't attack her friends in the store. Why did you say that? Well, I think his love for Buffy is what's keeping him from wanting to eat her. I guess he also can't because of the chip, but he doesn't know that. But, like, wouldn't he want to eat Xander? Right, but, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, maybe he ate before visiting them, so he's not, like, actively hungry. Sure. And his memory is wiped, so he's not like, you should eat those people. Like, I mean, you know that you can eat those people. So I would say that, yeah, given time, he probably would start being like, oh, I'm going to eat them. Like, I want to eat them. But, like, maybe there is a window where he's not having, like, the urge to feed. Kind of like in the Angel episode where he body swapped with the old man. And the old man in his body was, it took a while for him to, like, he wasn't just, like, eating the first person he saw. Right. It wasn't until he started getting intimate with Lila that he's like, oh, actually, I want to bite your neck. So that's why I would I would justify that maybe that's why he didn't attack them. Because he could argue maybe he'd want to attack Giles since he's like feeling hatred towards Giles a little bit. Well, they get attacked by more vampires. Buffy fashions a giant steak out of a mailbox post and eventually the shark shows up. Meanwhile, Rupert and Anya are in the shop. Rupert discovers a plane ticket to London in his pocket. It's kind of funny because I've sort of been making this joke all along, like... Anytime that Giles sort of has a look in his eye like he's going to leave town, I've been like, actually, there's a plane mm-hmm. ticket in my pocket already. But apparently he's had one in there. So they're going to do some spells. Anya's intuition tells her to use a specific book, but she just immediately conjures a rabbit, which, if you don't remember, she doesn't love. Yeah. She uh, conjures a whole bunch of rabbits. Every time we come back to them, there's more rabbits. I thought that was pretty funny. Giles is like, maybe we should try another book. She's like, no, no, this is the book. I got it. And she conjures another rabbit. And Giles is like, yes, dear. <laughs> Next time we see them, Anya's standing on a table. There's a green cloud that's overtaken the magic shop. There's like a thousand bunnies. Giles is like, please, darling, this is clearly not a helpful book. They have a funny little fight about all the British words he says that she never understands. He's like, what? There's, there's no way you could remember me saying any of those words. <laughs> Next time we see them, Giles is sword fighting with a skeleton, begging so Anya, funny. begging Anya to try a different book. Just cut back to him fighting a skeleton. It's so random and hilarious. It actually looks pretty good too. Yeah, like he's fighting well and doesn't look like a fake snake. Next time we see them, they're cowering behind the counter as some large monster that we don't actually see is growling. Giles blames Anya, which she doesn't like, and she says she feels compelled to take some vengeance on him, which is funny. She hits him with the book. He's like, ow, no wonder I'm leaving you. What? And then he shows her his one-way ticket to London. She throws the ring across the room, which she regrets. She doesn't want the monster to eat it. Giles reads a couple of magic words, which fixes everything. Her ring's okay. Giles apologizes. She's like, no, Ruby, I'm sorry. You were right. That was the wrong book. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, well, yeah, but I'm still sorry. And she asks him not to leave her. And he's like, oh, Anya. And they 
passionately kiss. There's no way they're not coming to in this position. But yeah, <laughs> we're not there yet. Team Sewer is on the move. <laughs> Tara helps Willow climb down and they share a very intimate glance. But she's with Alex. It doesn't seem that way. I'm so confused. They quickly meet a vampire that they need to run away from. They all hide in this little alcove. Willow and Tara have all kinds of sexual tension that they're confused by. Yeah. A little later, Willow asks Dawn how she's doing. Dawn says she's kind of scared, but this all also feels kind of familiar. Like hiding from vampires and running around. Willow agrees. This feels familiar, but also confusing. And I think I'm kind of gay. Which is kind of funny. It reminds me of her line from season three where she's seeing her doppelganger self and she's like, I'm a vampire and also like maybe kind of gay. Yeah. Eventually the vampire smells their fear. Is that something they can do or is he just smelling their blood? I mean, I don't know. The rules kind of come and go a little bit sometimes. I think he smells their blood. He gets into a tussle with Xander. Dawn tosses Xander a sewer steak that she found. He kills the vampire. Willow has somehow fallen on top of Tara. There's a lot of people falling on top of people. This is like a Joss Whedon thing. He like added a scene in Justice League where Flash falls on top of Wonder Woman. It's just like his go-to funny sexual tension moment. I can't remember the last time I fell on top of someone. Dude, I can't help it. I fall on top of women all the time. <laughs> and I know it's you're going to be like, Brian, you're doing it on purpose. Brian, why are your shoes tied together? It's just like, this is how I walk. You got to stop. If they're on their way to buy a store, you got to stop them somehow. <laughs> no, you can't go to the store. I'm, oh, no, you fell with me on top of you. It's fine. <laughs> You'll never make it to the bank now. Yeah. Okay, these are jokes, people. Women are allowed to own stores now, I guess. And <laughs> don't fall on top of people. That's gross. But when Willow falls on top of Tara, the crystal falls out of her pocket. She and Tara are having a moment. They're like about to kiss when Xander steps on the crystal, breaking the spell. Team Sewer seems to have put together that Willow did all this. I think they must remember that they were just confused. Like all their real memories are back. But I, I think they've also remembered the time that it has just passed. Yeah. They seem kind of pissed at Willow, but they're not saying it. No one's saying anything. They just start to leave. Xander kind of starts to laugh, almost like, Willow, you couldn't even last a week. I don't even know if he knew about their bet, but like, I think he knows Willow probably shouldn't be doing magic right now. He heard enough of their fight together that. So he quickly covers his laugh with like saying he remembered a funny movie he saw. Yeah, it's unclear what he laughs at, but I mean, he could have also laughed at any of the things they just experienced. Like the fact that, Spike thought he was Giles' son yeah. or that Willow thought that they were a couple. Like any of that stuff could have been funny. But I think he was also like, uh, this is not a funny moment because like you guys are about to have like a big breakup fight. So I got to go. Yeah. Willow kind of just looks at Tara knowing she really screwed up and they all just walk away. Giles and Anya did in fact come to mid-passionate kiss. And next time we see them, they're aggressively cleaning up the magic shop. Opposite sides of the shop. Yeah. <laughs> To avoid looking at each other. Super funny. Child's like, wow, this place really needs a good cleaning. And Honey's just like, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when Buffy comes to, she's mid-fight. I think she's sort of just like confused for a second and gets knocked out. Spike finishes off the vamps, which the shark watches him do. And I think the shark is like afraid of Spike now because he tells him he doesn't need the kittens. Spike's like, no, I'm going to pay you back. He's like, yeah, totally. Uh, Gotta go. The shark is such a stupid villain. I mean, did he not know that Spike was a good fighter before? I just don't get why the shark is, like, chill now. 
Yeah, because he, I don't know, he had two fighters with him. I think he felt like he had the upper hand. But I, I can't imagine why. It's like, you're going against the Slayer and another vampire who has killed Slayers. So, like, you better bring a lot of people with you. Spike tries to help Buffy up, but she helps herself up, walks away. Cut to the bronze, where Michelle Branch is gut-wrenchingly singing Goodbye to You. Oof. The lyrics, the tone, the... Yeah, yeah. It's a heavy montage, guys. As she sings, we see Buffy sadly sitting alone at the bar. We see Tara packing her stuff. We see Willow crying on the bathroom floor. We see Giles and Anya journaling about what could have been. <laughs> no, we see Giles on a fucking plane. Yeah. In a middle seat. Good. He deserves a middle seat on an international flight. <laughs> Spike approaches Buffy at the bar. She doesn't seem happy to see him, so he leaves. All Tara's stuff is packed. She's on her way out the door. She tries to say goodbye to Dawn, but Dawn's pissed. She runs up the stairs. Don't be pissed at Tara, Dawn. It's not Willow. Yeah. I mean, maybe she doesn't understand the complexities of how you're not supposed to mess with your partner's mind. Yeah, young girls don't get that. Apparently, either do adult girls. <laughs> I just don't see how she's mad at Tara. If anything, wasn't she closer with Tara? Maybe yeah, not. I- I don't know. She's a young kid. She's confused. Willow's like maybe the fun one. Tara's kind of always the one that's like, don't do that. Yeah, I just, it seems like you would be like, yeah, Willow really fucked you over. Like, <laughs> And the episode ends with Buffy and Spike making out in the bronze. So uh, she went back and found him, I guess. Yeah. That's it. Brian, was this a good episode? Uh, it's so, it's, it's hard to say. Okay, so a lot of people love this episode and I get it. This episode is very funny. It's very funny, right? Like, the Anya Giles stuff is so funny. The Spike, like, his ideal version of a good vampire is Angel. He's, like, essentially thinking, like, I'm Angel. But he's not. Just Buffy, like, thinking what she's doing is super cool, is super funny. A lot of the uh, misinterpretations of reality and context between the characters is very funny. But I just, like, hate that shark demon so much and the whole premise of that so much that it, like, really taints the episode for me. We should also talk about some other things about this episode. Like, for instance, this is just, like, essentially paying off a ton of stuff from the Restless episode in season four. The sharks. So much. Because Xander has that dream. Spike is wearing essentially the same suit from that dream. A tweed suit where he's, like, becoming Giles' new watcher buddy. So, like, that's being paid off for some reason. Xander mentions sharks. We have this lone shark for some reason. It's a weird decision that they're like, no, let's make Xander's dream prophetic. Why? I mean, I guess you could argue that both Buffy and the first Slayer were somehow involved in this dream. So that's what gave it prophetic properties. But the other Scoobies didn't have like prophetic dreams. So it's like it's just an unnecessary paying off of this episode. But yeah, I don't know. It's funny and it's also weird. And I had problems with it. What, What are your thoughts? It is really funny, and I think, like, the tone shifts are done well. I, I feel like they're at some point they're in the middle of, like, realizing what Willow has done to Tara again yeah. and just, like, cuts to Giles and Anya doing something very silly. Mm-hmm. Just, like, playing with the tension is, is well done. It's interesting that you sort of expect this episode to deal with everything that was put out in the open in the previous one. Yeah. I mean, and that's definitely all lingering. Like, they are dealing with that a little bit. But this episode is essentially still, like, pausing them actually dealing with that. Yeah. Because most of the episode, they don't know who they are. So they're still not really dealing with that. They're kind of just right back where they started, only Tara and Willow are broken up. Giles is gone. There's a lot of other interesting things in this episode, though, too. Like, 
what these people's natural inclinations are when they don't have any of their memories. Like, Buffy instinctually wants to protect Dawn. Even without memories, even without really knowing who Dawn is, she wants to protect Dawn. Which is makes sense, because the monks very much were like, you want to protect this girl. Yeah. They instilled that into her. Willow and Tara have this innate attraction to each other, even though Willow has no idea that she's even gay at first. Right. She confuses herself for being Xander's girlfriend, but it's clear she's attracted to, to Tara. Interestingly, Xander and Anya do not immediately have a sense of attraction to or towards one another. I mean, a lot of it is just based on the proximity of who they were next to when sure. they woke up. Uh-huh. I agree that this isn't like a, this proves anything. It's just like an interesting thing in the episode. Yeah. Also that Spike feels compelled to help Buffy. Yeah. And not harm her. And that Buffy wants to help Spike. Yeah. Overall, re-watching it, it's a very fun episode. It's very funny. So if you could just get past the like dumb parts of the episode, then it's like very enjoyable. And I think whether or not you like this episode is going to come down to whether you're somebody who is just like me, who like has trouble letting go of illogical things like that, or someone that's like, yeah, which is a fun, campy TV show. Who cares about this? Like the whole idea is suspend your disbelief. You might love this episode. I'm kind of in the middle because I am one of those people who has trouble with internal logic not functioning correctly. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm midway with this one. No, I liked it. It was a fun one. Yeah. The shark didn't bother me as much as you. It is stupid, but I, I wasn't like upset about it. He's a cartoon character. Yeah. But, I mean, so are a lot of the monsters of the week. Sure. Willow's the monster of the week. She's the monster of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Wins the award. All right. Should we move on? Let's do it. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed is another popular WB show that aired around the same time, but neither of us has seen it. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 6, Episode 8, Sword and the City, the Lady of the Lake contacts the sisters and pleads for help. They suddenly find themselves the guardians of the sword in the stone. When one of them pulls Excalibur out of the stone, will she let the power go to her head? I mean, I think she might. That's what I feel like. Hey, Sword in the City? What? Like, just, like sex in the city. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> These writers, I, I just, okay, I just, I hate the titles for every single charm. So the Lady of the Lake. She calls them. She's done with being the Lady of the Lake and the yeah. Keeper of the Sword. Yeah, she is tired of it. She's like, I'm so pruny right now, I'd like to leave the lake. So she contacts them via the bathtub. She can, like, project herself into any type of water. So Phoebe's yeah. taking a bath. Mm-hmm. And the lady's face pops up. She's like, she's like, whoa, to the lake. what are you doing in this water right now? I am naked. And the lady's like, come to the lake. She's a ghost, maybe also. Yeah. There's swords. Don't be a Samantha. And so she's like, all right, cool. I'll go. She goes. She pulls the sword out. Power death goes to her head. She's walking around with this sword the whole episode, constantly talking about it. It's not like Thor's hammer. She's like, I'm worthy to use the sword. So I'm better than everybody else. Yeah, that's it, though. She doesn't really know what to do with the sword. She just yeah. feels like she's better than everybody else. There's some funny moments where Phoebe's using the sword for, like, everything. To, like, cut butter. To, like, find clothes in her closet. She, like, puts the sword in and pushes her clothes over. Because this is an episode of Charm, some, like, goblin dudes show up to try to take the sword. Uh, and she fights them off. But then, at some point, one of the goblins knocks the sword out of her hand. And she's like, oh, no, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. But then Paige just picks up the sword and, and fights out the goblins. And then Phoebe's like, oh, shit, I guess literally anyone can hold the sword. I thought it was like a special just me kind of thing. Yeah. 
And um, the Lady of the Lake is free now. So yeah. we see a bunch of her just like going on different vacations. She's just like really fulfilling all her plans and life goals that she made down at the bottom yeah. of the lake that she could never do. And mm-hmm. um, now no one keeps the lake or the sword. Yeah. Well, the girls have the sword, but they're just like, oh, this is just kind of a sword. Like anybody can, yeah. can use this. Yeah. They hang it up on the wall. And at the very end of the episode, we see the sword rattle. Yep. As if someone's trying to summon it, but it's it's bolted to the wall. Yeah, so, and really, that's all you gotta do is just bolt that shit to a wall, you're fine. It rattles a lot, which is annoying, but... Yeah, but overall, I'm gonna give it a 4 out of 10. Oh, wow. Yeah, but, like, the highest we'd ever give one of these is a 6, so four's pretty good. Yeah, and I've never given a 6. This has been... Meanwhile, Uncharted. Okay, Brian. Then we watched Gilmore Girls. Tell us about Let Me Hear Your Balalaikas Ringing Out. Okay, so the previously on Gilmore intro immediately lets us know Jess is going to be back in this episode. It's just like, previously on Gilmore Girls, remember Jess? Well, <laughs> it's, I doubt he's not going to be in this one. Which you accidentally watched before we did this episode. Okay, I was doing notes on the previous episode, and I finished, and I was just like typing up my notes while the episode was like playing the credits, and then it started the next episode, and it's all like, remember Jess? And like, okay, so he's coming back. We'll get to that later. The episode starts with Lorelai obsessing over paint swatches. She can't decide which color she wants to paint any of the walls in her house. Luke is, like, super impatient with her, and I don't blame him. She's being absurd. It's pretty funny, because, like, later in the episode, Babette is trying to help her decide on which one, and Babette also can't decide, and Luke is just, like, screaming at them from another room, and he's like, you've got to decide! It's not her decision! Yeah. All very funny. At the diner later, she's still going over her swatches. And while she's there, two small 11-year-old girls approach Luke very timidly. One of them is named Tilly. Eastside? Yeah, is this a notorious gossip Eastside Tilly? I hope so. That would be great. And maybe it is, because we learned more about this Tilly. These girls go to Luke's old school, and they are asking him if he would sponsor their soccer team. They ask him really nicely, and he declines. But then Lorelai talks him into it, so he's like, sure, I'll, I'll do it. Luke went from, like, reluctantly accepting their sponsorship to be, like, super into it. He's ordering expensive jerseys and, like, extra expensive nice ball caps for them to wear. He also orders an extra set of all of these clothes for himself, Lorelai, and Paulinka because Lorelai silently asks him to do it. Then Lorelai kind of talks about how they're going to make a movie about Luke turning this ragtag team into winners. And I'm like, you're kind of just describing the future Mighty Ducks show you're going to be on on Disney+. Plus." (laughs) By the way, we should mention that Paul Inca has been acting a little strange recently. He's been bringing Lorelai's shoes downstairs for some weird reason, then setting them up like a weird organized rose. He's also been scratching at Rory's bedroom door for some reason, and later makes a trail of shoes to Rory's room. Is Paul Inca real? Is he just part of Lorelai's like, subconscious trying to deal with Rory being gone? <laughs> I mean, Luke seems to see him, or he like, hates the part of Lorelai's subconscious that's trying to fix what's going on with Rory. I feel like Luke plays along with Lorelai's bit, so maybe he's like, yep, there's a dog there. (laughs) (laughs) I love that theory. Because, like, why would Paul Inca get obsessed with, like, Rory's room and stuff? This is all, like, maps on to Lorelai's feelings too well. Yeah, I mean, he's never met Rory, so why would he have any reason to want to go in her room? Unless he just, like, smells something in there. or It it could be unrelated. Maybe there's something in there he wants. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe TJ talked about turning that into, like, a pig smoker room. Maybe he left some pig smoking materials in there. Yeah. But later we find out that the vet says that Paulinka has some sort of bug. There's nothing you can do. He'll get over it eventually. But Lorelai's worried about him. 
The paint color bit's pretty funny. Her just not being able to decide? Yeah. I don't know. She keeps, like, pointing out the colors of other businesses in town. Like when Yes. They're talking about, like, other businesses when, in reference to the soccer team that sponsor teams. And she's like, oh, that's a beautiful salmon. She's <laughs> yeah. like, paint is definitely on the brain. I get this. I'm indecisive about colors. And oh, yeah, yeah. Just decisions in general. So Luke is sponsoring this girl's soccer team. He goes to a game. He's super excited to watch the girls play until he is shocked to find out that they are crazy, aggressive, dirty players. The girls are like hard slide tackling the other team and like loving it. The girls' parents are also super funny. They just show up and are just like aggressively cheering on these little devil girls. (laughs) Tilly's mom is like, dominate, dominate, dominate. Aggression, aggression, aggression. (laughs) She also says that Tilly's an expert at knowing when the refs aren't watching. Yeah. Lorelai and Luke are just, like, shocked watching this. Lorelai asks if one of the girls is unconscious. Luke is like, no, no, no. Until later we hear another loud sound, and he's like, okay, well, now the girl's unconscious. (laughs) Afterwards, Luke and Lorelai just, like, go hide from the team in the car. They're like, oh, God, these girls. It's like this little mini sub-game story in this episode, but it was all very funny. It's also a very rare on-location shoot. Like, they went to a spot that's not in the normal set. Oh, yeah, yeah. On a real soccer field somewhere. Luke takes them all to dinner afterwards. He had set this up before he found out they were little monsters. While they're there, he tries to suggest that maybe they should play like a little softer, you know? They shouldn't play like the boys. Because boys are boys and girls are girls. All of the girls like gasp at this. It is kind of a weird thing to say. But they are still cheating, which is not okay. Yeah. The girls then say they gotta kick butt to win and they all cheer. All this is super funny, especially because Luke is like... You guys were so shy when you met me. (laughs) Luke has to take a phone call. And then we hear off screen one of the girls joyously recalling a moment in the game where she says, she went one way and her knee went the other. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Everyone's cheering. But that phone call is from Lorelai because Paulinka is sick. And the next day, Luke wakes up to find Lorelai not in the bed. And he goes downstairs and he finds Lorelai in Rory's room, half asleep, watching over Paulinka. I just want to point out it's not downstairs. They're sleeping in the living room. Oh, my mistake. I just thought he was in a bed. I guess I didn't really put together where he was. I only point that out because in a second, Lorelai is going to say, every time I go back up to bed, I kept thinking Paul Anka needed me. But I'm like, bed is down the hall right now. Yeah, I just looked up the scene. You're absolutely right. They are. It's it's hard to kind of tell. But if you look at the window, you see they're on the first floor. And you also see that he just kind of walks down the hall. Yeah, I mean, I'm not pointing out that you were wrong. I'm you were, but um, I'm... I was. It's weird that Lorelai says up. It's like they wrote the script, but like forgot that the bed was downstairs. Yeah, that's so weird. And they just didn't change the line because they're not allowed to change lines, I guess. Yeah. You just see Lauren Graham's like, this doesn't make sense, but I gotta say it. Yeah. Because they're notoriously not allowed to change the dialogue. Right. Yeah. If you didn't know what you should know, they had to stick to the script 100%. Lorelai is a wreck over her helplessness in helping Paul Inca. Luke finds her and is very supportive and telling her that Paulinka's going to be okay and Paulinka knows that she cares about her. He's like sleeping on Rory's bed in in one of the soccer jerseys. Paulinka, not Luke. Yeah, Lorelai's sleeping on the chair. Lorelai is like in tears here and she talks about how hard she's trying to take care of Paulinka and how she's failed and how she's a bad mother. It's so clear she's like really talking about her feelings about Rory. She should have done something different and she has failed Rory. Just like, again, I'm just waiting for Luke to be like, can we aggress that there isn't a dog? This is all in your head. I love that. Let's pretend that's true. Okay. 
Meanwhile, Rory is having a tough time living in the main house at Emily's. If you remember, Emily filled the pool house with random things to use it for storage so that Rory would have to move into the main house. This was because she was afraid Rory is going to get pregnant having sex with Logan. So she's trying to prevent sex by making her stay in the house. Emily personally wakes up Rory very early in the morning by like pounding on the door. Rory is not excited about that. Later, Rory tries to sneak out of the house without running into Emily, but Emily's spider sense goes off and she intercepts Rory. Rory's like, I've really got to go. I'm in a hurry. I've got some errands to run. Emily's like, oh, my maid, Shandinka, could run errands for you. She's got a used SUV. (laughs) Why is it important that it's used? (laughs) I don't know. She can drive her shit car around town all you want, girl. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Why would you do it when I can have this garbage car pick up your shit? Super weird. Emily starts giving Rory shit for, like, not giving her 24 hours notice that she's not going to have dinner with her. Which, I, to be fair, I kind of get because, like, Emily's dinners are a lot. It's unclear if, like, Rory's expected to be at dinner every night. Like, I got the impression when she was in the pool house, she was not, like, always going right. to dinner. Absolutely. But now she's in the house, maybe? It is more of an affair that they have dinner together? Yeah. But then she also, like... Gives Rory shit for skipping dinner and for looking too skinny. Then she pulls out this ugly dress that she expects Rory to wear at the next DAR function. Emily doesn't seem to care at all, by the way, that Rory mentioned she was in a rush and has repeated that a few times now. Rory goes to a bar with Logan and Logan and his buds get real drunk and annoying. Uh, Logan is once again wearing his professionally distressed jacket. (laughs) professionally yeah it's just this it's a weird not nice looking jacket that he wears all the time it must have been really in style or like i don't know i I bet it's some like high-end piece that was popular logan is getting especially drunk tonight because he knows he has to do a trip to omaha for his father tomorrow part of him taking over the family business and he's really not looking forward to it so they all get very drunk there's a funny line here he's like ordering his next drink before he's finished with the previous one yeah because he says like Waiting till you're done is for amateurs. And Rory's like, that's right. I forgot you went pro. <laughs> that was funny. It was kind of like a backhanded thing, but yeah, still clever. Something I'll mention here is that Logan and his friends like piss off this folk singer that's singing. They like make fun of her and they offend her. And then afterwards, when they're really drunk, Logan feels regretful and like wants to go apologize to her. Rory has the unpleasant job of trying to wrangle all these drunk men. I'm sure a lot of female viewers can relate to the unpleasantness of trying to wrangle your drunk boyfriend. By viewers, you mean me? (laughs) I am sure I have been drunk before. Yes. (laughs) I thought Logan did a really good job in the scene of acting drunk in a believable way. Yeah. I actually think he's great this whole episode, acting-wise. Yeah, I agree. I also thought the scene with Logan's friends was all pretty funny, all their interactions. Finn is regularly funny. I think he plays like a very douchey character, but his lines are really funny. So you like kind of forgive those things about him. Mm -hmm. But one of Logan's uh, female friends who's always concerned about her weight says like, I must have gained some weight because Finn didn't even try to make a pass at me tonight. And then Finn's like, no, here I am trying to make passes. And he goes, pass, pass, pass. And then Colin is like, wow, this is all very expositional. (laughs) Funny because it is. It's all like, these are the things about our friends. They're like their notes. It was funny. They um, also have forgotten how to get in a car, they say. And Finn asks if she's got the owner's manual. And she gets, like, all of them wrangled except for Logan. Then she goes to get Logan, and then she comes back, and everyone else is gone again. It's all funny. She gets them all home, and when Rory finally pulls into her driveway, gets out of her car, all of a sudden, Jess, like, walks through the front gates. Dun, dun, dun. 
What time is it? Yeah, we have to talk about this. So the bar closed. They had to leave because the bar closed. Yeah. It must have taken Rory a while to get them all home because she had to drop yes. them all off. I assume she found Colin and Finn. It probably took her a while to get Logan inside. Yeah. Also to say goodbye. Yep. How long has Jess just been lurking in the bushes? Yeah. It's possible that this is like a Monday night and the bar closed at like midnight. So it's not actually like four in the morning, but. Let's just do benefit of the doubt. Okay. Let's say it closed at not. Let's say it closed at 10, right? It's a Monday night. It's closing at a 10. That's very early, but let's just say that's the case. She's dropping Logan off at Yale. Yale's like, what, a 40-minute drive? It is. New Haven is a 40-minute drive from Hartford. I looked that up. So it's at least, what, 11 o'clock? Let's just say she gets everyone pretty quick, drops Logan off. That All that takes 20 minutes, let's just say. The earliest it could possibly be is 11 o'clock at night. And I mean, that is me being as generous as I could with this timeline. Yeah. And Jess is just like, yeah, I was just showing up at 11 o'clock at your fucking grandparents' house hoping to see you. What? I guess it's not insane. 11 o'clock isn't insane. He could think he's being romantic, I guess. But if he thinks she's going to Yale, then that's like, well, she probably got Yale tomorrow. Oh, right. He got some information from Luke, he says, that yeah. she maybe isn't in Yale. But it's it's just crazy that he's just like lurking. And did he show up right when she got there or did he just like hide until her car pulled up? Right. That's why I'm like, was he just waiting or did he time it perfectly? Yeah, he makes a joke about like, you know, like lurking and uh, property, but it's or, or stalking. But it's like, yeah, but that's what you were doing, man. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Uh, it seems that Luke reluctantly told him off screen that Rory was living here. I hate that we don't see this scene, honestly. Um, spoilers, we get no scenes with Luke and Jess, which are like my bread and butter. I was like, can we get some of those? Like, I love their relationship. Why can't we see that? I would love to hear Luke talk about his relationship with Lorelai to Jess. We could get insight into how Luke feels about his relationship by having Jess talk to him because Jess is one of the few people who could, Liz could do this too, but I don't know. I would have loved to see that. This is just not what we're exploring right now. Yeah. Rory invites Jess in. She's like, oh, my grandmother's asleep. Don't worry about it. She sneaks him into her bedroom and then puts like a pillow at the bottom of the door to like muffle their voices. But like. That's not going to help. It covers like one corner of the door. Yeah. There's four sides of this door with. Anyway, he makes a joke about her Emily chosen dress. Like, is that a Halloween costume? (laughs) (laughs) Rory explains her temporary living situation to Jess and tells him that she's taking some time off from Yale. Things have changed a lot for Jess, too. He moved to Philly because New York was too expensive, and he started working for a printing company, and he also convinced that printing company to print a book he wrote. What? That's right. He wrote a book. The Subsect. He's in town begging independent bookstores to stock his new book. They talk for a little bit, acknowledging that they're both a little nervous and stuff, but as he gets up to leave, he says he wanted to give her the book and tell her that he couldn't have done it without her. That line bothered me a lot. What does that mean? She had, like, no influence on Jess academically or, like, focus-wise. Sure, she told him that he had potential and that he should, like, focus more and stuff, but is that what he meant? Like, I couldn't have done this without you a few times mentioning that I wasn't living up to my full potential. I couldn't have done this without having my heart ripped out by a relationship. It also could have been just, like, seeing how motivated she was to achieve the things she wanted to do. But he doesn't say that. He just says, I couldn't have done this without you. You did this without her. Right. I mean, but maybe like he was always trying to do what he could to get back with her. And this was part of achieving that. You know what I mean? Or like her rejecting him kind of like kicked him into gear. 
I guess, but like, if someone said that to me, like, I couldn't have done this without you. And my relationship with them was not one where I was, I had affected them in some way that I was aware of. I would be like, wow, how? In what way? Yeah. If my ex-girlfriend was like, I wrote a book and was like, I couldn't have done it without you. Number one, I'd be like, what the fuck did you say about me in this book? It's like, <laughs> my boyfriend ruined my life, you know, like what? But the second thing, I'd be like, oh, really? I'm, I like, how, what did I do to make you feel like you could achieve this? But yeah, then I guess the problem is Roy didn't ask that. I guess. I think the problem is the writing. He needs to explain what the hell he's talking about. It's, I don't think anyone would say that. Someone might say that, but then they would follow it up with, like, justification for that. Like, you were always driving me to achieve more, and that really stuck with me. Honestly, like, Luke is the one who, like, instilled in him the ability to communicate better and express himself. So, like, probably couldn't have done this without Luke, but whatever. It's a little weird to me. It's, I, I don't know, I struggle with this a little bit. They don't acknowledge any of the toxic stuff that happened in the previous visits he's had. Like, in the last visit, he, like, showed up at her dorm, admittedly, at night again. Maybe that's his fucking time. And, like, begged her to run off with him. Yeah, their last two meetings have been bad. And it was very emotional, and it was definitely not a positive experience. And I get not being like, let's talk about that. But they sort of are acting like that didn't happen or that things are good. But in the same token, because I know some listeners probably very upset about me for saying all that. I get how a couple like this who clearly have strong emotions for each other even though they may not feel like they're good together. Maybe they don't want to dredge up that past because it's only going to be painful and they just want to talk and live in this moment. I feel like I've experienced that. Yeah. Also, like, Rory was the one that hurt Jess last and he has come to her. So I feel like that's sort of him being like, I don't need you to, like, apologize to me. I'm here to say hi. Yeah. I guess for me it isn't like this is an unbelievable way people would interact because I think it is believable. I guess just as a viewer, I wanted some resolution to what happened last time. That's just my personal opinion. You know, maybe I'm being too picky. Jess says that he'll be around for a few days and hopes they can get together. So the next night, he shows up to grab some dinner with her, and he, he's going to throw rocks at her window to, like, get her attention. Very romantic. But Rory walks out the front door and is like, what, what are you doing? Because <laughs> <laughs> her grandma's not there. And she says that, like, why wouldn't you know my grandma's not here, you dummy? She's <laughs> like, well, I've been lurking out here all night. I should have seen her, I guess. They're headed out to get some funky food. And they're both surprised when Logan shows up, arriving home early from his trip to pick up Rory. Logan is immediately upset. He seems to think that he's, like, caught Rory with another boy, which I kind of get, but I feel like Rory isn't really acting that guilty. Yeah, yeah. Logan comes in pretty hot and rude here. Yeah. He probably just got back from a real shitty trip he didn't want to go on, so he's grumpy. And it wouldn't be great to come back from out of town and your girlfriend's just, like, with another dude in yeah. front of her house about to go somewhere with him. Who looks like Milo. Yeah. Right. I would be like, what's this guy? Why didn't you tell me about this? I mean, I would have those questions. But, like, he's just, like, so aggressive and passive aggressive. Like, absurdly so. Logan invites himself along to this meal and just starts acting super possessive of Rory. So this is confusing because they end up going to the Yale bar, which, again, 40 minutes away. Yeah. And Logan's like, you follow us. So him and Rory have driven alone 40 minutes together. Yeah. And he gets out of Rory that they did date at the restaurant that information comes out. So, like, did yeah. he not ask her on the 40-minute car ride? Yeah, I, it's that's weird. He doesn't, like, cool off during that car ride. Also, it seems weird that they wouldn't just go somewhere closer. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're at this restaurant, and uh, there's just, like, a ton of tension between them. Logan is just, like, super condescending to Jess, and it's like a total fucking asshole, this whole scene. 
Like he belittles his book, like his accomplishments. He's all like, oh, you wrote a book? You know, I should just write my thoughts down in a book and publish it. It's no big deal. Anyone could do it. He keeps asking how long it is. <laughs> Jess yeah. is like, you seem pretty obsessed with length. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> He's also like, uh, is it like Tolstoy? Like, if you're ready in those names, are they throwing you off? Like, dude, just, why are, you, why are you shitting on this guy? Like, it's, I don't know. Like, I get why he's shitting on He's like, feels threatened that this guy's taking Rory. But like, I feel like at this point, you should know he's not. Yeah. But Logan is also like, he's doing that thing where he's being like, shitty nice. Where he's all like, yeah, get whatever you want from the menu. I'll buy it for you, Jess. That way you don't have to worry about the price. Like, insinuating one that Jess doesn't have very much money and two letting him know that he's a rich motherfucker the douchiness only gets worse when he finds out that the two used to date which like you said how did Roy not mention this during the car ride I think they want us to forget that it's a 40 minute drive yeah I think so too I just thought that the whole point of him driving alone there with Rory was like I want to talk to you about this in private yeah totally so finally, Jess has just had enough, and he leaves pissed. And Rory follows him out and tells Logan, like, you just stay here. There was the, the part where T offers to give him a book, and he's like, where should I send it? The blonde dick at you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, that's like right before he leaves. He's like yeah. pissed. She goes outside. Jess is like, what's going on? And she starts defending Logan, saying that he's tired from this trip he didn't want to go on, and he's having family issues. And she also says that he's very drunk, which we don't really see. Logan is acting drunk. And we see him finish a drink and ask for another, but, like, how many drinks could he have had? Yeah, it's not like he's clearly as drunk as he was the other night. Yeah. I would think maybe he had one more before the one we're seeing, so he's had, like, two tops. Yeah. I wish they would have just made him drunk, because otherwise this seems, like, kind of out of character, that he's, like, this mean. Totally. It just, it felt very sudden. I don't know. I feel like sometimes the show doesn't know how to write men being angry, and they're just like, okay, uh, they're drunk and they get crazy. Like, I get him not loving the fact that Rory's about to go on a date with her ex, but, like, sure. I don't know why he's, like, threatened. I feel like I'd be more like, Rory, what's going on? How come you weren't telling me about this? Why would I hate this guy who maybe doesn't know you're in a relationship? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, Rory, please explain why this dude's here. Like, it seems a little suspicious to me that you're going on a date, but whatever. And then Jess is all like, you know, I don't care about this guy. Like, it's not about this. He's like, what's going on with you? He's like, this isn't you. Dropping out of Yale, dating a douche like Logan. We used to make fun of guys like this. Doing stuff with the DAR. This isn't Rory. This isn't the Rory I know. Like, what's going on with you? He keeps asking her that. And then she doesn't know. She's like, I don't know. He calms down and says that they should catch up at a better time. And he starts to leave. But he turns around and he says, oh, happy birthday. Wasn't your birthday just recently? Which I think is important. Because he remembers her birthday. But Logan, who she's currently dating, didn't even know her 21st birthday was, like, about to happen. Which is so weird. He should know his girlfriend's about to turn 21. Absolutely. It's a, it's a weird writing choice because 21 is such an important age for their social dynamic. Yeah, because I assume he's got to cover for her or, like, get her a fake or something when they go to yeah. these places. But it just seems to me like this is intentional. Like, Jess really knows Rory. Yeah. Logan doesn't. Jess really knows Rory. What did you think of him telling her this? It's interesting, right? On the one hand, Jess is upset. And I feel like it's really kind of crazy for him, of anybody, to be telling Rory that she's, like, fucking up her life when, like, he was the all-star life fucker upper. And I think that's a valid criticism of Jess in this scene. I don't know that he's being totally reasonable. But, like, even if he can't always express himself right, even though he's not always right, I feel like he does sense stuff from Rory that other people don't. And... 
seeing her as an example of chasing your dreams and goals probably is what he meant by, I couldn't have done this without you. Right. So seeing her not following her dreams and goals, which is what inspired him to write this book. The version of her that inspired him is gone. Is gone. And he's like, that's insane to me. He also was like, he feels that she and him are meant to be together. And he came to her and was like, please leave Yale and come with me. I know that this is what's right. And I do feel like he felt that way. And I do think there's maybe some truth. Don't hate me, everyone. I feel like there's some truth on some level that she does want to be with Jess and does think it's right. But like her goals of being in Yale and achieving this dream are her goals. And it's more important to her than like the recklessness of running away with someone, even if she wants to do that on some level. So I think that confrontation, the last one they had, was really solidifying for Jess. Like, this is who Rory is. Yale and following these dreams is who Rory is. And for him to see her not being that person is like something huge has happened. Yeah. And I think the show has implied to us that there is some connection between them that is not always verbalized. There is like a, a soul connection between them. So I feel like he, he does understand Rory in a way that other people don't. The only thing I would say is he knew Rory as a 17-year-old. Like, just because he knows that version of her doesn't mean she couldn't become a different person. Yeah. I didn't mind what he said to her. The only thing is when he asked her why she left Yale or why she's doing all this stuff, she says it's complicated. And he says it's not. And she's like, you don't know. and Which is true. He doesn't know. He doesn't know any of the circumstances that caused her to leave. Yeah, it's true. So, I don't know. That, that part... It didn't bug me, but I'm just saying, like, that that's true. He doesn't, he's just, like, sort of telling her his opinion based on the version of her that he did know. He doesn't know what she's gone through in the last couple of years. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I, when Jess says all this stuff, is it fair? I don't know that it's fair, but... It makes her think. I, I don't know that it's fair. I would say it's not fair. He hasn't been there. But he is asking her, like, what's going on? Because what I'm seeing is so different than who I know you to be. There must be an explanation. And she doesn't really give one. It is dismissive to say it's not complicated, but she's also not trying to explain. They're also having a fight publicly, so it's not the place. But Yeah, she maybe just hasn't really sat down and thought about what's going on. Yeah. Then he leaves the fucking episode. That's right, he's just gone. We don't get to see him with Luke or Liz. He's just gone. I'm back, Jess. You're a tease, Amy. Rory goes back into the restaurant and Logan acts like Jess was just being a little baby. He was just teasing him. Writers should be able to take it. He says he, uh, Rory said you were mocking him. He's like, I did not mock him, but he did. Oh, yeah. And Logan's all like, he could have punched me in the face. I'm like, okay. And would you have just taken it and been like, yep, that's what I deserve? People always say Logan like manipulates and gaslights. He maybe does a little bit in this scene. I don't know that I've like noticed it before necessarily. That time with the poker was arguable. He, he should have been more honest with her than he was about what kind of party she was coming to. This scene tells us a lot about Logan, quite honestly. So he's all like, no, I didn't. It's like, yes, you 100% did. What you should be doing right now is apologizing to Rory. And I can't imagine you didn't think about that when she was gone. He does seem more drunk now, I will say. Yes. She also realizes that Jess, a guy who previously had been wasting his life, has like finally found direction and is like doing something that's like meaningful. And she isn't. She kind of has like a freak out monologue about like wasting her life and just drinking all the time. While she's doing this, Logan repeatedly is like, just calm down and have some drinks. She then says like all she does is drink and do nothing. And then Logan gets real aggressively defensive saying that it isn't his fault 
that she's drinking. She could always just say no when he asks her out. Don't make him feel guilty because she's drinking. She doesn't have to drink. But it's like, dude, you literally just told her to be quiet and drink like three times. And you're like telling her, well, you could have just said no. I'm like, yeah, but you keep pressuring her. And he like yells at her for blaming him, which she wasn't. But she's also like not not blaming him. Right. Like once he brings that up, she is sort of like, yeah, but we you do want to drink a lot. Well, he's like, I gave you a month, but then you just kept drinking. It's like, what do you mean you gave her a month? Like what? You, it wasn't like after a month you were like, hey, maybe you should go back to Yale now. Yeah, he says that a few episodes ago when she's like quitting Yale. He's like, I give it a month. Not like in Buffy where there's like an ultimatum where it's like I give right. you a month. Just like, yeah, I bet you'll be back in school in a month. But he, It's like when a marriage he, is going to fail. You're like, I give it a month or something yeah. like that. It's interesting that he brings that up in this episode, though, when yeah. Tara's giving Will a month. Then they have a fight about privilege. He's all like, I drink because it's my prerogative. 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 Again. Both shows. Amy. He's like, I've got this shitty future life that I can't avoid. You could do whatever you want. You could become a journalist, whatever. Not me. I'm stuck in this one pathway. His whole bit is that he's got this one future that he can't deviate from and he feels trapped by it. But Rory's point of view is like, right, but like you're trapped by this like really perfect future. <laughs> like where you're going to have a lot of money and privilege and do whatever you want. So it's it's not that bad. I'm not going to defend Logan here because he's being a total fucking ass. I'll agree that there's some truth to like, he probably can't avoid this future. And while he says to Rory, you can do whatever you want, that's also true for you, Logan. You could decide to say no to your parents. It's, yeah. it's so interesting because he's telling Rory, despite the fact that I'm constantly pressuring you to drink, you could just say no. It's on you for not saying no. It's like, right, Logan, but you're saying you're constantly being pressured to take over your family's business, but you could just say no, Logan. Yeah, that's interesting. He's doing his best Jon Snow. He's all like, I don't want it. She does ask him how hard he's fighting it. But I will say, if he says no to his dad, it's going to be like in the papers, you know? Yeah. Th that's the difference between him and Rory. Like if he leaves the family business and just like goes and fucks around on the beaches in Greece, it's going to be like tabloids about it. Like he's famous. Yeah. So he, he kind of can't at the same time because it'll be like a whole public scandal. Well, he also couldn't go fuck around in the beaches because at some point I feel like his parents could cut him off. He would have to like go get a job. That's true. But I feel like he's going to be like infamous if he leaves this business. Sort of like Prince Harry, you know, like mm. just not really deciding to do what's expected of him. I mean, people like Prince Harry. He could have made yeah. it a positive thing, but th there will be some drama attached to him saying no. It would be nice to know what he does want. Like, does he just want to party or does he not know what he wants yet? Because he's fucking only 22 years old and it's weird we have to know what we want to do by that age. Absolutely. And there's some truth. There's something about the conflict if it's like, yeah, he could say no, but having money and a base level means all of your needs as a human being can be met. Yeah. Security, shelter, food, and honestly, like companionship, whether or not that's love. I mean, yes, money can't buy you love, but it can buy you companionship. I don't even mean that by sex. I mean, somebody will be with you just to get their other needs met if you have money. So, like, if he's like, no, I, I, yeah, I can turn that down and then just have complete uncertainty. That's, like, just very difficult for any human to do. Yeah. Logan calms down a bit and then tells her that they should go because he wants to go. And she's like, well, I don't want to go. And he's like, well, I do want to go. And she's like, well, I'm going to stay. So he just throws some money on the table and says... That'll pay for the bill and a cab and he's leaving. And he says, do whatever you want. It's your choice. Yeah. He's always telling her it's her choice. I don't know if that's just like his way of being like, you have choices and I don't. I think that is in this scene, but like he does that a lot. Also, why does she want to stay? Just to be defiant? 
like she doesn't no one else is here yeah and i think maybe she just doesn't want to go in a car ride with him yeah but yeah it's like i want to stay like do you also the folk singer is back and when rory comes back into the restaurant to fight with him he was like oh that folk singer's here i like bought them drinks again it's him solving problems with money problems he he offended them the previous night and now he's making it up to them with money Hmm, that's yeah. just like what Logan has learned fixes problems. So probably he's like, I'm going to fix this problem with Rory with money later at some point. But Logan gets very screamy and yelly in this scene. It's the most aggressive I've seen Logan so far in the show. Yeah, so this is definitely like the ugliest we've seen Logan. Yeah. But some of his behavior is somewhat justified by his situation. It's interesting. I think it's this, the show doing a good job of showing different people's perspectives around wealth and relationships. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, Logan is very much in the wrong in this scene. Like, you, he's kind of suspicious of this thing with Jess, which makes him uncomfortable, which is understandable that he would be uncomfortable or suspicious. But the way he handles it is like the way a child hands it, handles it. But again, he's a fucking child. He's like barely an adult. Even if he has emotions about feeling trapped, which I get, the stuff he says to Rory is just unfair and is very hypocritical. So, I, I mean, I, I don't side with Logan here. I can... Understand he is maybe making a mistake that he'll regret later and try to fix, but like right now he I think is very much in the wrong. The next morning, Emily goes to wake up Rory, but she's gone. And it turns out she's actually staying at Lane's. Honestly, fantastic. Lane, you owe her. I and mean, this is a nice callback for when Lane was staying at Rory's dorm. Oh yeah. Emily finds Rory at the DAR event that she's running. Emily is pissed about like everything, but mainly because Rory didn't check in with Emily before going to the DAR event and like isn't wearing what Emily laid out for her and like isn't doing what Emily wants. She's also upset about the volume of the balalakas. Balalakas. Balalak like ba ba the palinkas. <laughs> They're not real. She wants to have a private angry chat with Rory, but Rory's like, "Yeah, I'm not having any of that." It's interesting because she didn't wear the dress Emily wanted her to, but they're like dressed similarly. I know. It's so funny. It's like, uh, I'm dressed just like you. Clearly, I know how to pick a dress for this yeah. event. But she's very pissed at Emily because Emily took her private address book and like called all of her friends looking for Rory. And Rory's like, you had no right to do that. And Emily's like, ah, it's not my fault. The real problem is that your address book's out of date. You know what? I'm going to throw out your address book because it's not up to date, which is insane. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, why does Rory have an address book? <laughs> I think I had an address book in 2005. Phones didn't have all that yet. Emily says you're becoming more and more like your mother every passing day. And then Rory shoots back with a, and you are becoming more and more like my mother's mother. Oh, oh. snap. Shots fire. <laughs> then Emily tries to ground 21-year-old Rory and says she'll go over the new house rules when her father, what? Accidentally called Richard, Rory's father, comes Ooh. home. Then Rory says, well, I ain't living there anymore. Boom. End of episode. Rory is moving out. So, Stacey, was this a good episode? Yeah, I think it was. I thought that a lot of the acting was very good. I thought Logan did a really good job. I think Lauren Graham was excellent in that scene in Rory's bedroom. Yeah, her breakdown scene, yeah. Yeah. Oh, she just, like, played tired and sad so well. Yeah. And Luke was good in that as well. Yeah. The soccer stuff was so funny. And I do think that the Logan was... Almost too much to, to the point where that's like a writing mistake. It was definitely fun to see Jess again and have all the drama that his arrival brought out. I thought that was interesting. 
I'm torn. I don't know that Logan's behavior was a writing mistake because Logan is like this privileged, rich kid. I, and when I say I think his actions are unreasonable, I still stand by that. But I don't know that it's unreasonable to write that a character like Logan would do that. I guess he was a little unreasonable when Rory was on that date with Robert. Yeah, they've set up that he's super jealous, but also in his head, he's probably like, I gave up all these women I could be sleeping with to be with you. And now you're with some guy. Not that that justifies him, but I, my point is that I could see how someone like him, a privileged, rich son of a bitch like Logan, might go off the handle thinking he's righteous for being angry. Yeah, that's fair. But overall, yeah, I think it's a good episode. Yeah, I agree. I, I have some issues with, I wish Jess could have interacted more with Luke. And honestly, I wish Jess and Rory had had more scenes together. I, I would just, I'd love to have them just talk more. But uh, yeah, overall, I'd say it was a good one. Yeah. A lot of similarities. I mean, just the, the mention of giving someone a month. Logan dealing with his problems sort of by drinking and throwing money at them is sort of similar to like Willow dealing with her problems by using magic. Yeah, throwing magic at it. The prerogative thing. Mm-hmm. Also, Logan says that Roy's blaming him and he gets called a jerk and Anya blames Giles and calls him a jerk. Yeah, there's also a book in both. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a lot of drama surrounding a book. So which episode do you think is better, Brian? Ugh, I'm really torn on this. Me too. Because Buffy is good, except all that shark stuff is so bad. And Gilmore is good, but people are going to hate me for what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to go Gilmore. Interesting. Why is that? I just hated that shark, man. I'm so torn, because I, I, Gilmore is good. Yeah? But I think I'm going to go Buffy. What is happening, guys? I went Gilmore, Stacey went Buffy. It's crazy. I don't know. The shark didn't bother me as much as you. It is a really just fun concept for an episode. Yeah. And the last part with the song was really good and emotional. Yeah. Ugh. It's tough. I don't know. Some of the fights in in Gilmore seemed a little forced. Like, Emily was saying, wait till your father gets home feels like too big of a Freudian slip. Yeah. I don't know. That's just like, I get the fight that they're having there, but it it almost feels too expected. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess I know that that happened, so I was expecting it, but I don't know. Just like you predicted that this would happen with Emily and Rory. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's very, it's a very close, close call, but I'm going Buffy. Cool. If you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 6, Episode 9, The Prodigal Daughter Returns. Interesting hmm. title. I wonder what that's about. I, it seems like it's probably a mystery, like most of them are. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 6, Episode 9, Smash. Hmm, what's that about? Potatoes? In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Is Logan being a hypocrite? Would Anya and Giles make a good couple? What did you think of the shark? Did it ruin the episode for you? Probably it didn't, but it should have. Do you relate to Rory wrangling all those drunk boys? How long was Jess hiding in those bushes? Is Paul Anka real? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer. We post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y, Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Stacy, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscribers, Amethyst Moon and Brittany. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode descriptions or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout out on an upcoming podcast. Okay, 
Let's go put all that lube away. But you know about the lube? I do. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to do a forget me spell. Buffy the